episode 100 of No Guitar Is Safe featuring Matt Fuller, lead guitarist of Puddle of Mud, is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player. Play better. Sound better. No Guitar Is Safe. No Guitar Is Safe, episode 100. 100. Here we are, triple digits. I know this means a lot to some of you. Some of you are like, yo, Jude. Episode 100, you got to raise Jimi Hendrix from the dead, man. If I could, I would, of course. But as always, I have a fantastic guitar player on the show. And he's got a fantastic story, as usual. And of course, this guitar player will be plugged in. And it puts you in the room for an epic guitar hang with Matt Fuller, lead guitarist of Puddle of Mud. You're hearing tracks from the new Puddle of Mud album, Welcome to Galvania. It's out everywhere right now. It's been out for three weeks or a month. And before we go any further, I want to say yes, episode 100, I want to thank specifically Bill Amstutz, Michael Melinda, and my good friend Adam Johnson from high school on forward. The three of them helped me launch this show in the summer of 2015, and we're going strong. And of course, I want to thank all of you for listening. Let's geek out a little bit at the end of this episode. Please stick around after the interview for an epilogue where I'll look at that number 100 and kind of check out the cool numbers within the number and look at all the adventures we've had and do some reflecting. I think it'll be kind of fun, especially for you hardcore no guitar is safers. And I know there's so many of you But yes, to Matt. Matt Fuller, my friend from around town, he sure grabbed a tiger by the tail when he joined Puddle of Mud in 2012. And by that I mean he joined a band where the singer, infamously, had quite some interesting run-ins with the law and other misadventures in addition to being a great rocker. And I think their new single, their new single which is called Uh Oh, and which is now currently number 11, on the modern rock chart it was number 14 when we did this interview so it's climbing and so i think this single and it might be my own interpretation but i think this song Uh uh-oh is wes scantlin founding member of puddle of mud kind of poking fun at some of his infamous misadventures Sweet little honey, I must confess Got myself in a terrible mess I got a new tattoo, two black eyes Missing one too, but you should see the other guy Girl, I must admit I don't remember much Someone must have served me a knockout punch Cops with me up, off of the ground Now could you come and get me from the lost and found? Uh-oh, I fucked it up again Oh baby, where do I begin? Yes, there are F-bombs on some of these No Guitar Is Safe episodes. I hope you're not scared away by that. There is a censored version of that of that song on the record if you want to hear that one, where he's messed up again and not effed up again. But yeah, Wes Scantlin, who formed the band Puddle of Mud years ago, in the 90s, I believe, you know, he's had several run-ins with the long arm of the law and uh, arrests, apparently... There have been allegations that uh, 
he and his one-time fiance shared of domestic violence, allegations of vandalism, allegations of a high-speed police chase, allegations of attempting to bring a BB gun through security at LAX, random stuff, and some more harmless stuff, which we'll also get into with Matt on this show today. Airplane mishaps and airport hijinks gone wrong. It's been quite an adventure for Matt, but these guys are on the path to redemption. By that, I mean Wes, lead singer. Wild Man Wes has been really smooth lately. It's a comeback story, and I think it's all pretty inspiring. I think you're going to love Matt and his L.A. adventures. He's a Schecter artist with some great Schecter guitars that we're playing, and he's plugged into some cool orange amps, like an orange half stack, orange full stack in his living room, although I don't think they were 4x12s. They were like smaller cabinets, but they're so cool. And we're keeping the volumes at a more sane level. There's one point where I'm trying to remember the lead guitar player for Johnny Cash during this interview. And, you know, senior moment, I blanked on his name, but it's Luther Perkins, the great Luther Perkins, who played that solo that I reference in the moment. Coming up, had to give him props. Matt has had many, many interesting gigs, as we'll get into, including music such as this. And that's kind of the theme of today's show the many different ways a guitar player can find themselves in a great band. How does it happen? How do you land that gig? Well, let's find out. Great guy to talk to you about this is Matt Fuller. Again, thanks to Zoom for the recorders that have been here with me all along. Thanks to you for listening. Let's fire up the copter, head over to Matt's house, and hear how he stacked all those parts to make this album and how he built this career. I'm doing the chickas. Yeah. But Matt's too tasteful to do it. I do it live for sure. Hanging with Matt Fuller, playing their new hit song from Puddle of Mud. It's called Uh Oh. And it's currently climbed up today. Every day it's getting higher. Number 14. Number 14. On the Modern Rock? Modern Rock radio charts, yeah. That's the, that's the bridge, right? Yeah. Guy's getting all jazzy on the bridge. Yeah, I know, huh? Mm-hmm. 
play it with you. And uh, the song is so fucking catchy and great. And I love how Wes is kind of poking fun at himself in it. And first thing I would ask you is tell me about that video shoot. I don't know how much of you were present when he was doing the trailer park stuff, which is hilarious. Wasn't there for any of that. <laughs> but you were also in the live shots. And, and, and how's that video doing? What, what do you like about that video? Um, it seems I think it's got a lot of views, which is good. Um, I don't know. I, like, yeah. I don't know how that translates to... In these know. days, who knows what right. any of these numbers yeah. mean. Yeah, like, is it better to yeah. be on the radio? Is it better to be on Spotify? Are sales better? I mean, I guess sales yeah. still are the best thing overall. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was just... It was one of those things where the, the live shot was kind of... We had a day off in Kansas City, where Wes is from, and we went under this bridge and we shot the live stuff you know, in the course of three hours or something like that. And then, you know, it was, it was edited and interspersed in with, uh, with the trailer park stuff. And then, uh, yeah, a week later it was being debuted on Loudwire or I think it was Loudwire that debuted it. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about what, what Wes is doing in the video and what, what does it mean? What's, what's, what's the purpose of of this video? (laughs) I'll be honest (laughs) with you. I kind of don't, I don't really know. Um, I mean, I guess it's, you know, he, it, it kind of goes with the lyrics of the song, I guess. Absolutely. Um, kind of seems like as an outsider. You probably have a better perspective. Maybe, yeah, you're like he's poking that. fun at his, his whole series of mishaps. That yeah, the happened. song is definitely. Yeah, the lyrics you know, and then some of the events that are depicted. Yeah. Like, what happens to him in the video? Um, he gets arrested, <laughs> which, you know, as we know, has happened yeah. a couple times. And, uh, but I think. You know, and then at the end when he's like, you know, when the song turns around and he's just like, you know, just take it all. Take the cat, yeah, take the like, dog. Right. I think it's, I think that's the point in the song where it's kind of like, you know what? I don't need to do this. Like, I don't, I, I need to stay away from this trouble. And, you know, I mean, cause he has turned it around yeah. quite immensely. And, you know, the last two years or whatever it's been, have been great. Yeah. You know, and people love a good comeback story. I think absolutely. You so, know. I mean, for the record, he's been sober, right? For yeah, I mean, basically I, almost two years. I'm two years and ten days or nine days, and he, he, his started a little bit before mine. So yeah, I guess he's a little over two years now. Yeah. Well, I want yeah, I want to get your um whole story absolutely. But since we're talking about Wes, we got to get him out of the way. Okay, because <laughs> what a character! He's the I last mean, original rock star. Yeah, I mean, you when you hopped in this band, well, when did you hop in? The first gig I did with him was in 2012. 2012. Yeah. So you hopped onto a roller coaster. Yes. And some of his antics are hilarious. Like, were you there for the airport? Yes. The baggage cart ride? Yes. And tell me what happened on that day. Where okay. were you? I mean, here's here's the reality. You know, Wes takes a lot of heat for all this, but there's the people that basically induced this stuff into existence are the ones that never get called out for their part in it right what happened was (laughs) we we, the enablers and the uh yeah well there was there was this guy that was promising him the world you know oh i'm gonna film this documentary and i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna blah 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 and this was a guy that i knew from many years ago he used to book a cover band that i had and you know it it didn't go very well and and i mean it, it just wasn't his forte but when he first started working with Wes, working yeah. in quotes, he came up to me because, like I said, I'd had history with him. And he goes, hey, is there anything I should know? And I said, first and foremost, don't encourage him to do anything illegal or, you know, any bad behavior like that. 
if he's going to do it on his own, that's just, you know, the way it is. But don't encourage it. So literally, the first trip this guy takes with us, we fly to Denver. We're waiting yeah. at the baggage carousel. And Wes and all of us are just sitting there waiting for our bags. And this guy goes, hey, Wes, jump on the snowboard baggage thing. I'll film oh, it. I know. It'll be okay, great. Wait, wait, wait. I know that one you're talking about. Because I've heard, who would not be tempted to jump on that particular right. one? Because it's like stand-up coffins. signs that say, do not, like yeah. all over it, like, like five or six signs that say, do not yeah. stand on this. For people who don't know what we're talking about, it's like a big, tall um, baggage carousel where you could literally hop up there it's like for, it's a yeah, vertical coffin. And it's you for just, skis and snowboards and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you could just stand in that. Yeah. I've always wondered what it would be like to hop in there and right. go back there. Okay. So... The guy says, hey, Wes, you should get up there. I'll film it. It'll be great. You know, it'll look good. on." on and Wes said, I don't know. I take a lot of heat at airports. I should probably not. He goes, come on. It'll be fine. And so Wes went, okay. And then five minutes later, he's being arrested. Wow, because he ended up going back into the... Right. Not only was he not supposed to be on it, but he ended up back in the restricted... Right. Fucking TSA All because restricted area. he was sitting there minding his own yeah. business, and this guy just kept goading him into doing it. And then what? after that, the guy was like, oh, oh, oh what can I do? And the, th- the three of us were like, get on a plane back to L.A., get the hell out of here, don't ever show your face around us again. And he's like, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Get out of here. We don't ever want to see you again. On the bright side, though, Wes did get out of jail in time, and we did play the show that night. That's always a but, good Wes But still, day. like, you know, some of these things, it's like, you know, it's these outside forces that think it's funny because they're not going to get in trouble. Oh, yeah. It's always a little, yeah. It's, yeah. It takes two to have one of those, hey, guys, watch this right. moments. Right, Now, I had to ask you about that one because I play with the uh, well-known drummer Donnie Baldwin in Jefferson Starship. He's had a long history. He was in Star- Jefferson Starship starting in, like, 1982 and then Starship. And he's played in so many other bands and has so many crazy stories. Pablo Cruz going all the way back to the Learjets and all kinds of stuff. But I had to ask you about that story because yeah. he once told me that he, this would have been the 80s and now you'd probably get in more trouble, but he hopped onto the baggage screening thing that rolls through right, right. conveyor belt and went through and got fully x-rayed and everything. Like, you know where they're, oh my <laughs> like when you're going through security, <laughs> yeah. he just rolled through that thing, which explains a and lot of his crazy. right? Oh, this, yeah, this is like the eighties. So, but it's just a funny airport moment. And I think it explains why he has such crazy behavior to this day. I think he got maybe oh, a little yeah. bit nuked. Yeah. Gamma rays. <laughs> <laughs> Were you also on the plane when Wes, uh, like, I guess got a plane diverted? Yes. Last West story for us. And we'll come back to him later, but you got to tell this story. Okay. Well, that one was just, I mean, we had an early morning flight from Boston back to LA. We had just finished a week of shows or something like that. Um, we had this insane early lobby call. Someone didn't plan this very well. And so we had this insane lobby call and then we had to race through traffic to get to the airport. And it was like a it was should have been like an hour drive, but it was raining and it, it was rush hour. And so it ended up taking like two hours. So we were running through the airport with guitars and, you know, yep. we get on this plane. We're all just knackered. And, you know, Wes is tired. You know, when we're tired, we don't look our best sometimes. Disheveled. So he looked, you know, disheveled a little bit, as did we all. And he's asked the, the flight attendant, you know, hey, man, can I just get a beer? And the guy's like, no, you're drunk already. We're not serving you. And he's like. Come on, man. I'm just tired. Can I just get a beer? I can go to sleep. 
It'll all be done. And you're already and flying or? We're, we're in, yeah, by this time yeah. we're in the air. And, you know, it's like, just give him a beer. He'll go to sleep. But it escalated. And then, you know, the guy was just like, you need to calm down, blah, blah, blah. And then next thing you know, we're landing in Austin. And, you know, we were, we were going to get off the flight with them. You're like, wow, L.A. came fast. It seemed yeah. like a really short flight. And we were going to get off the flight with them. And then they're like, nobody else get off the flight. We're just removing a passenger. And we're like, well, that's our buddy. They're like, you can't get off the flight. Stay on this. Do not move. And we're like, Jesus. So, yeah. But he got out, you know. And Those airline people take their job so seriously. Some of them do. <laughs> we fly Southwest all the time, though, and they are the best. I love Southwest. They're great. Yeah. I can always get my guitar up in the bin. They yeah. don't hassle me. I mean, there's a couple other airlines that treat us well as well, but Southwest is definitely our first choice for flight. Well, it's very exciting to see Wes on this redemption path, and yeah. like this album is fantastic. It sounds amazing. Every single song, it's your first album in like 10 years. Probably your first album with My the band. My first album with the band, yes. I know you tracked a lot on it. Are you like on every song and everything? Yeah, I played guitar on every song. And, yeah. you know, I, I definitely was being cognizant of the fact that I don't want to take it too far out of the, the, the framework of Puddle of Mud because, you know, then the fans are going to be like, oh my God, this is totally different. What's going on? New guys, they changed the whole sound. You know, I still put my stamp on it in places, but I definitely was very aware of we have to make this sound like a puddle of mud record because it's been so long and we don't want to, you know, shock the system, so to speak, you know. I think you did a fantastic job at that. Yeah. Well, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Fitting in there and creating these great songs. And yeah. And there's such a, a nice range of songs, too. Like we've got Uh Oh, which right. is, you know, the obvious. There's two versions. Hit. You really want right. to hear the. Yeah. The explicit version, because that's what it is, and right. Wes really knows how to enunciate a good f bomb. Right. But then there's just beautiful songs like "Just Tell Me," which is just gorgeous. Yeah. On that one, I think I think all the guitars are me. You know, there's a little lead thing in there that uh, wasn't in the original demo, but they were like, we need to put something in here, and you know, it's just a little octave thing that I did. And yeah, I ended up actually redoing it and making it simpler, but then they ended up using the more <laughs> complicated version. So okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still simple. Sometimes when I get crazy. layering on there what did you yeah. what did you stack on that song um let's see um there's definitely a lot of clean guitar there i think i did some acoustic tracks on that and then example of where i put my own little stamp on it yeah on the second half of the verse there's this little you know dotted eighth note um delay part that comes in 
Oh yeah. And that's that's me. That's like that's a mat- my mat- thing. Can yeah. I hear a little? Weren't you doing a little bit of that when we were sounding? Um. You're kicking on a couple of striming things here. You got like a El Capitan. Yeah. And you got the Mobius kicked on. Yeah. Okay. Let me do that again. Yeah, take your, <laughs> take your time, brother. Yeah. Urgh. I haven't played this song since I wrote it. I know how it is. That's beautiful. Love it, Matt. Yeah. So that was definitely something that I was yeah. like, oh, I, I totally hear this in there and just needed to throw it in there. That's great. Well, that's all part of what goes into making a great album. And I really have high hopes for this album because it seems like it's kicking ass and it definitely a return to form. And like I said, everybody loves to see a good comeback. Battle back. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Now, where did you grow up? And like, well, first of all, what did your parents do? Were they musical or. How did you get into music? My mom's side of the family is definitely all musicians. Um, My grandfather was a trumpet player. My grandmother was a singer. My mother was three of four, third of four kids. Um, Her oldest brother was a self-taught classical pianist with perfect pitch. Dang. So he could hear like garbage can fall and be like, oh, F sharp, you know. (laughs) I hate those people. Yeah, I know. Second brother was a classical guitar player also self-taught like when i hear the self-taught stuff it just drives me crazy because i had to take lessons and work hard at it but my mom was a singer and then uh her younger youngest brother uh was a drummer and he actually put himself through college playing in blues bands down in chicago while going to school and still graduated valedictorian of his class holy shit so uh, my dad's side of the family not as much um i have like a I have a couple cousins that play. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Oh, cool. Which part? I go to Elmhurst all the time. Oh, yeah. That's where where Kathy is from. Oh, okay. Yeah, I grew up in Roselle, which is not too far from there. What moment led you to grab a guitar? Well, I mean, um, growing up, there was always music in the house. You know, my parents had an amazing record collection. Um, my dad's favorite band was Creedence Clearwater Revival. Awesome. And I mean, he was he was kind of agoraphobic, and so he didn't like going out into crowds and stuff, but the only concert he would go to was CCR, you know? Um, so I remember the first song I ever remember hearing as a kid was Sweet Hitchhiker from CCR off their final album, Mardi Gras. And I mean, the guitar solo, it's yeah. literally four notes. It's... Yeah, it's the Neil Young school. Yeah, and I the first like the first time I heard that I was like, oh man, I want to do that. Yeah, that's amazing. Like a lot of people ask me, what's the greatest guitar solo of all time? There's no answer to that. No, but I think one contender would be Folsom 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 Prison Prison Blues. Blues. Yeah. just so recognizable yeah. it's like sometimes you don't need a whole lot of notes and yeah. and if you can lean into a note like fogarty or neil young or something yeah and and i remember my guitar teacher 
um, once told me because, you know, like, yeah. obviously growing up, you know, I wanted to play as fast as I could. And he's like, the reality is you have to speak English yeah. in America, obviously, yeah. you know, you have to speak English to your listeners. Like if you're playing some like soft song and you're like, then you go into this yeah. crazy shredding solo. It's like, whoa, what the heck are you doing? You know, you have to make it. It has to make sense with the song. Yeah. So that doesn't always mean a flurry of notes. It oh, could yeah. mean just beating the hell out of one note, but beating it like you mean it, teaching it a lesson, you know? Exactly. Like some people can play a million notes and you still feel them. Like I kind of feel like Ingve on a good night and he can right. deliver a billion notes. But a lot of people, yeah, most people, if you don't feel the note, it just goes over yeah. your heads and they can't even tell the difference. You right. Get, right. Most people, you have Neil Young up there playing this. And they'll yeah. they'll feel like he's more of a guitar god than someone else who's you know right. And <laughs> David Gilmore, like oh my never man. he was never a shredder, but yeah, considered one of the top guitar players because you can hum his solos. I know it. Actually, that was that was something. That, another thing that my guitar teacher told me when I because I, I wanted to learn Mississippi Queen by Mountain, and yeah. he's like, I mean, the the thing about these solos is you can sing these. Because they're just so melodic and they just, yeah. you feel them, you know? And to me, that's important. Like, there's got to be yeah. something in there that people can latch on to. So was there ever a performance you saw that of a guitar player, that live concert that changed your life? I mean, I can think of three or four when I was a kid that I saw. Anything that a, somebody, a concert, could be a big concert, could be somebody at a club, anything that changed your life. Yes, actually. And this was even, like, later in my, like, I'd been playing guitar for a long time and I'd done yeah. many shows and stuff, but I did have a life-changing moment at the Cat Club right up the street. Yeah, the now defunct. He used the to be right defunct. next door to the Whiskey on Sunset yes. Boulevard. I don't know if, if you were if you were around for that or ever heard about it, but, like, they used to have this, on Thursday nights, they had the Star Effers. Can I say that? Yeah, <laughs> okay. say what you say. They, they had the Star Fuckers, which consisted of... Uh, yeah, you can say that. We just ran your song, Uh-oh. Oh, that's so. right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Um, which consisted of Gilby Clark, Tracy Gunn, Slim Jim Phantom, and Stefan Adika on bass. And they'd always have these, you know, name drop-ins come in. It was kind of like one of the yeah. first times I remember that kind of thing happening. And I was never a huge Queen fan. But one night, Brian May walked into the Cat Club. No shit. And... I mean, no shit, you were never a Queen fan? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, so. <laughs> like, I liked their hits and stuff, but I was never like, like, they weren't a band that I followed. I was more like Beatles and Stones and, you know. Right, right. I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah. Holy fuck, Brian May walks into the Cat Club. This place holds like 50 people max. Yes. And, you know, Tracy's got his Les Paul gold top. I mean, I, I just remember this night pretty vividly. He's playing his gold top, and it was through, like, the house little carven little tiny stack, you know. I mean, Tracy's amazing, great player, you know, and he's playing and, you know, they're doing the songs and then Brian May walks in um, and he was just kind of like checking out for a bit. And then um, Ryan Roxy, who played with Alice Cooper and stuff like that, he got up and he played same guitar, same amp, you know, didn't adjust anything and did his thing. And, you know, he's a great player as well. And then Brian May gets up there and this is where my life changed. Now, what song was he playing? You... you know what? That I don't remember, but I remember as soon as he started playing... It sounded like Brian May. And again, same guitar, same amp. Didn't change any settings. Yeah. But it sounded... And then I was like, wait. Like, because, you know, obviously, you know, I like I like gear. It kind of opened my eyes because I was like, oh my gosh. 
three different players, all three of them using the same guitar, the same amp. Each one sounded like themselves, but... You know, because Brian May's got a very distinctive sound. I know. You'd think it was his special guitar, one of a kind, made by him and his father. Exactly. But no, it's his fingers and his touch and his approach where it just, it made me, like that night I actually, I went home and I went, okay, that's it. I'm selling everything. I'm done. I'm never going to be this. I'm always just going to be this, you know, second rate hack. Forget this. I'm done. And then I woke up the next morning and went, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to develop and pay more attention to how I play and, yeah. you know, and, and I mean, like I use really thin picks. Most people like pick these up and go, oh, I, I can't use this, you know. How thin are they? They're, they're like the 0.5. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're the thinnest you can. These are Dunlop. They look like. Yeah. The Tortex. Tortex. Yeah. Yeah. I use pretty thin too. Here. It would be my honor to give you oh, yeah. oh, well, I've got one your, of my picks. I've got yours. Right oh, you already here. have one. Cool. Yes. And I've got <laughs> a cheap trick, Rick. The Rad Pick Collection right there. Matt Riley from Avril Levine. You're welcome, Riley. <laughs> yeah, um, I keep them. I got a got a Malcolm Young, which is my favorite ooh. one, and some other picks. But uh, yeah, I'm just playing like a sixty something. But this yeah, feels that's like fifty. A, this is like a fifty. Yeah, right. Dunlop Tordex. And when, when I was a kid, I used to play really heavy picks and really light strings. Like I did like nine to forty two, and yeah. you know like the one point three or whatever picks. And I would break strings all the time, so I'd always have to have like five or six guitars with Playing me. Playing like a poker chip pick? Yeah, just, you know. <laughs> and then over the years, it's like I, yeah. you know, flip-flop yeah. to where it's like, now I do 10 to 52 for my strings. Right, right. And then I use the light, the light picks. And I like it because that, I think that's yeah. part of my sound is like, because I, I kind of hit it hard yeah. when I do. And I think that's part of my touch. Because I've done, like, I remember this one time, and I, I kind of thought the guy was taking the piss out of me, but... I was doing the jam at the Viper Room. One of the most bizarre British expressions ever. Yes. Which right. means to... Just messing with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's messing with you. Yeah. And after I played a song, this bass player comes up to me and he's like, you've got a really good sound. You know, you, you, like, you definitely, like, you've got your own sound. And I was like, but I'm using the same rig. And then it kind of took me back to that, you know, night at the Cat Club. But it yeah. was like, you know, I was like, you know, I'm using the same thing, and it's like, how is mine any different than everybody's? He's like, it's the way you hit it and your approach. And I was like, oh, good. So it finally worked. It finally clicked, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, you always sound amazing every time I've seen you play oh, at, the, you. at the Sunset Jam on Mondays at the Viper Room yeah. and at Ultimate Jam Night Tuesdays. Well, it's mutual fan appreciation oh, night then because yeah, well, you as well are thank you. such a great player. But you always really fit into the song. Like, there's no rock and roll song that you won't fucking fit perfectly into. That's what I love about you. Like, you're serving the song. But going back to what you were saying, I have a story that, in a way, kind of tops that because it wasn't someone else's gear. It was my own gear. We're playing at the Canyon Club with Jefferson Starship. And someone says that, oh, George Lynch might want to come down. He's a friend of the band. I've known him for years. Yeah. And so we invite him, text him, hey, man, come on down. Sound check's at blah, 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 if you want to come. And But he didn't make it a sound check. And, and we never even knew if he was going to come. And the only amp they had there was like a Line 6 half stack. And I had left a Telecaster there for, yeah. or something. And next thing you know, like three quarters of the way into the set, there's George over by the monitor board. He's fucking showed up. And we throw a guitar at him. I give him the Telecaster. And he comes out. And he's blazing. But then we're kind of jamming, and he's like, he leans over to me during the song. He's like, man, do you have any delay or something or any of... I'm like, I I don't know. And then, well, I forget what happened, but basically I just said, why don't you play my guitar? I handed him a Strat with like a humbucker 
and a bar on it, which uh-huh. he's very used to. Yeah. And my pedals and my rig, and he's playing through my rig that I've just been playing for 40 minutes all night long, or maybe an hour at that point. Right. And he hops on there, and I'm watching him play the Nothing has changed. And he proceeds to sound so much like George. It's unbelievable. All his pick harmonics, yeah. his bends, his growls. That was a really educational moment. I'm like, wow, he just got so many different sounds out of that same exact thing that I was just playing right. without touching a single thing. Yeah. Yeah, you never forget those kind of moments. Yeah, definitely. Now, you ended up doing other things, of course, before Puddle of Mud. Yes. What are some of the other things that you've done over the years where you you know, paid your dues and learned well, the craft of touring and playing and recording? The first band I was ever signed with was this... Um, it was a band called Plasticine, very oasisy. Our singer was British, and you know how like Liam and Noel have a like a, a reputation for being difficult, especially well, with each he, other, right? <laughs> he definitely wanted to live that reputation because he was very difficult. Well, did he have a brother to fight with? Like he did, and I replaced his brother. (laughs) Oh, so so you became the (laughs) new. Yeah, I replaced his brother in the band because they couldn't function together in a band. Oh, that's very Oasian. Yes, and I mean, I our album I thought was great, but we were so over budget and so behind because you know he our singer just kept like you know sending it back to be remixed and you know like well. I mean, first example, we did two weeks of pre-production with the producer. And then literally the night before we're supposed to go in to start recording the basic tracks for the, the, the songs we had picked, he writes this brand new song that absolutely has to go on the record. It's the best song he's ever written. It's got to go on the record. So that put us back a couple of days. Yeah. You know, because we had to learn it and then do all this. And, and it, I mean, I, I actually got in trouble because I pointed out that, well, it just sounds like the verse of this song and the chorus of this song that we're already putting on the record. And then literally the next day, my contract was rewritten, so I lost a point. Holy shit. Yeah. So I was just like, okay. But I, at this point, I just I wanted business. to be on an album so badly that I was like, you know what? I'll live with this. I'll go with it. You know, we'll, we'll make it up in the air, so to speak, you know? Yep. And, you know, we're recording the basic tracks, and then he just decides to schedule a show at some club it wasn't like it was, you know, a necessary show that was going to increase our perception among the, the audience. It was just to Random do a club. show. And yeah. the producer's like, what are you guys doing scheduling a show? We're in the middle of this. You know, why? Because then we had to take all of our gear out, go rehearse, you know, put yeah. us a couple more days back. And then, you know, like I said, then when, when the album was being mixed, he, you know, we get the first mix back and he goes, no, it's not good enough. Redo it. I mean, Ben Gross, who, you know, has done some of the biggest albums in the world, like he did B-52's Cosmic Thing and, you know, stuff like that. He's the guy mixing it. I mean, it sounds great. Wow. And so we get the second mix back and he's like, not good enough, send it back. And then we get the third mix back and he goes, send it back, not good enough. And the label goes, nope, this is it. We're done. And so when the album finally came out, they were, I, I think the label was probably just like, you know what, if it gets legs, we'll get behind it. Otherwise tax write-off you know yes well so it was a drag i mean we had a song in the movie basketball and on the soundtrack of that you know which that movie unfortunately the the song it was called lemon yellow
and it was a cool song. Um, but you know, yeah. we just we never got traction, and well, that's called paying your dues. I mean, like yeah. so many things have to converge to make an artist be successful, and exactly, and probably nine out of ten major expenditures by a record company are tax write-offs right right it's too bad because i really i i really like that record it was it was a great sounding record um and the songs were really good but it was just i mean that band was just destined to implode eventually i guess but i guess they held on a little bit longer after i left now was that in the 90s like when oasis was around too yeah the the tail end of the 90s so what was next for matt fuller then i i just played in a bunch of local bands over the years at Um, this point you were out in la and yeah, the next thing I did join was, um, do you know who Kevin Rydell is? Him and Rivers Cuomo of Weezer ah. moved out here together. They had that band avant-garde, and then when they split, Kevin formed Rydell High, and Rivers obviously formed Weezer and went on to wild success. But Kevin had Rydell High, which had an album out on A&M, and then after that he had a band called Peel, which they had an, an album out on, or, well, they had a deal with a label called Beyond. It was a division of Atlantic and um the guitar player quit after the recording of the record and then i got recruited into that and then did that for a little bit but then the label folded and album never came out and then that dissolved and then when he was putting together his new band rivers was like okay i'm gonna take over i'm gonna take control of your career and help you you know get something going so he started forming this new band am radio and me and my infinite wisdom said very sarcastically Kevin was, you know, like, okay, well, but Joe and Matt from my old band are in the band, you know, everybody else you can pick, you know, he's to Rivers, because he, right. you know, Rivers was going to put together the band for him, and he's like, okay, but these guys have guaranteed spot, and then I heard some of the demos, and it was all like this really, like, really soft, mellow music, and I was like, I don't know if I can, uh, I'm not feeling this, and He's like, oh, you know, whatever. And, and there were a couple songs that we had written at the tail end of Peel that were like a little bit rocker, like yeah. heavier. And, and, and I was like, are we going to do those songs? He goes, oh, no, those are way too heavy for this. And I was like, yeah, I can't do that. And then they went on to tour with Weezer. And, and those songs did end up on the record. Um, but the, they ended the up touring with Weezer. Yeah, they ended up touring with Weezer and Third Eye Blind and Eve Six and playing Budokan and all this stuff. And, and then as that band was coming to an end, the guitar player quit and I ended up getting, it <laughs> getting your again. old job back. Yes. Um, so mm-hmm. I did that for a little bit and then God for, then for a, after that I was doing covers for years and just, you know, I, I was making a living doing that for a while. You know, I, I was making a good living actually. And I thought, okay, it looks like this is where I'm going to land. And if I do that for the rest of my life, so this cool. is the two thousands. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. the mid two thousands. Just um, yeah. you know, we had like a bunch of weekly gigs, so we were you know, it was regular work. You know, I, I was playing like five nights a week, bringing home money and as a musician. And then um, uh, the next original band I was in was this band called the Mulhollands, and again, I was brought in to replace somebody. <laughs> story of my life yeah story of many guitar players life. yeah and we we were we were one of those buzz bands about la for years and you know like on musician music connections you know 100 bands you should be watching list like we were on that list three times in a row and we had a bunch of nibbles and no label would ever commit and then it just it the band never really broke up it just we just drifted like we never said okay this is our last show or anything we just drifted 
And yeah. I was like, okay. Great name for a band, though. Yeah. And then um, kept doing covers, and then I got a call from, oh, how I got with hooked up with Schechter was... And we are both holding some beautiful Schecters right yes. now. How I got hooked up with Schechter is a buddy of mine is the A&R guy over there, and you know he knew how I do covers all the time, and I was good at like jumping into gigs at the last minute and learning a bunch of songs and doing it. And his boss was playing with Gene Loves Jezebel, and they had this show in Mexico that they couldn't do, and it was like in three days. And he's like, look, I'll give you a guitar if you can fill in for her, for him. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. So I end up learning you know, their set in three days and you know, basically no rehearsal, fly to Germany. And it was just me and the singer originally, and then he got a percussionist. No bass player, though. Germany or Mexico? Or, I mean, I'm sorry, Mexico. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And, and um, so no bass player, just the three, because originally it was just going to be an acoustic thing with me and him, and then apparently it sold like 750 tickets or something like that. So they're like, oh, you know, can you make it a little bit more of a band thing? It's so rocket. he brings a drummer, but no bass player. So it's like, I was at a disadvantage because usually it's like, if I come into a gig like that, I can, you know, if I, I can follow the bass player if yeah. I get lost. I was on my own. <laughs> yeah. But it, the gig went well. And then um, that's how I ended up, you know, becoming a Schechter artist. And then after that, I got a call, you know, hey, do you want to play with Bow Wow Wow? You know, I want yeah. candy. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, that riff isn't that hard. I imagine, you know, like when I think of like 80s. I remember the lyrics, but what's the riff? Oh. uh, Two chord song, right? Or something. Yeah. Oh, and going to dispel a little myth here. Yes. Everybody thinks that I Want Candy is in D. It is not. It is actually played in E, but they tuned down half a step for for all their music. And then the tape speed was slowed down (laughs) when it was mixed. So it sounds like it's in D. They're, but it was really just, you know... They were playing tape. so fast, they slowed it down a half step. Yeah. <laughs> but um, let's see if I can remember the riff. Yeah, okay, right. So, you know, when, when I got the call, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, I can play that riff. So, you know, you think, the songs can't be that hard. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> That guitar player was so good, and it was like this crazy rockabilly stuff that was just not in my wheelhouse. So interesting. That gig I had. Who was his name? Or uh, Matthew name? Ashman. Oh, cool. And I had one week to learn sixteen songs, fifteen of which I'd never heard before. <laughs> I've done that shit before, man. And I literally sat in this apartment. You know, 12 hours a day just listening and going over it and going over it. And, you know, I, I was gone for a I've week, been there. basically. I did a Ozzy Osbourne, my first tribute band that I ever really did. Some Ozzy Osbourne tribute, this guy named Izzy Osbourne. Nice. A lot of work to learn all the Randy Rhodes and stuff. But oh, And I'm not saying that I know all of what he did. But, you know, I put in my time and got it pretty damn close. Yeah, yeah. And, sometimes uh, you got to, like, get yeah. the skeleton yeah, yeah, you know. And let, you know. I've been a long-time transcriptionist, you know, and it was a lot of fun. And this is nothing against Randy, but there's someone else called, hey, you want to do Van Halen trivia? I'm like, well, I just did Randy Rhodes. Yeah, let's do Van Halen. Sure. Holy fuck. It was like 10 times as much work. I like your ringtone. Yeah. What is that ringtone? Noir. Oh, noir. Oh, it's, it's a standard one. The telemarketer calling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, I've been there where you, you just say, yeah, sure, and then... Holy shit, what a lot of work. And the funny thing is, Eddie was a Bow Wow Wow fan. He liked Matthew Ashman's playing. He was a fan, because Lee would tell me these stories. Lee, the original bass player of 
of Bow Wow. He would tell me these stories about how like Eddie Van Halen would hang out at their shows when they came to L.A. because he was a fan of yeah. his playing, and I can understand why. I mean, Matthew Ashman was a just an amazing player, and Lee is a bass player. Oh my gosh, he is probably one of the best bass players I have ever played with. This is really enlightening to me because I never knew this about Bow Wow Wow. All oh, I know yeah. is their one hit song. Right. And maybe they have other songs that I'm not aware of. Yeah, they, they had a yeah. few that were like yeah. minor hits in, in America. Like when I hear them, I'm sure I know. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, just like and all that African, you know, you know, yeah. like it, it was definitely out of my wheelhouse, but it expanded me as a player. And it was, you know, it was, it was a yeah. cool thing. And then um, from there, Landed into puddle of mud. You never know what'll expand your wheelhouse. Like I used to play with the guy from Nigeria. I was a West African. My first real gig, the first time I like I played a gig at a hundred bucks. I'm like 21 years old or something. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that night. I, I wore a silk shirt to that night. That's when I learned never ever wear a silk <laughs> shirt to a gig. Like you'll be sweating like Richard Pryor on live in concert. Like just yeah. armpits. It's a bad situation. But it changed my life, like just playing like all this African funk. I remember this one lick. Can I just show you this for a second? Yes, yes. Like, where's one on this? I switched pickups. Like most Americans can't hear that, but it's like one, two, three, four. Anyway, it was just yeah. Before so much... you started tapping, I was getting yeah. the one. Have you ever heard the song "Murder by Numbers" by the Police? Yeah, yeah. The beginning of that, like yeah. for many years, it would just be like, you know, that. It's inside like, out. Where yeah. is the one? And I'd never be able to find it until Sting and the band came in, and it was like, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, I finally, after decades, figured out the drum intro to "Rock and Roll" by Led Zeppelin. You know okay. what it is? I've heard. A few different things. I've heard it starts. It's it's it's, it's um, Chuck Berry. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I swear. Yeah. If you and I think it might be like exactly. I mean, someone. If you're gonna go down this rabbit hole, look it up. Right. But it might be like Roll Over Beethoven, or maybe it's Johnny Be Good. Right. But uh, yeah, it's just. Yeah, it's I heard exactly, someone say. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's so many cool Where's One kind of intros. You know what really freaks me out is uh, Girl You Want by Devo. Oh, That's a really great Where where the Heck is One when you hear the guitar coming. I don't even remember where it is. Even though it's pretty much three notes, it's a weird riff. Yeah, it's just weird and super geeky and yeah. robotic to begin with. Oh, that's right, because we're two nine and a half steps. Yeah. Soundgarden. That's awesome. I'm gonna check that out because yeah. it, it could totally rock. It's yeah, it's, it's a it's actually an underrated song for them. I yeah. think like underrated. Everyone knows "Whip It," but right, right. It's actually good lyrics. And you guys have some great lyrics on this song on this new record too. Like what Wes is talking about. Like you know he's making fun of himself on "Uh Oh," and then 
the song like there's the pretty songs like you're my kind of crazy that's a great line who doesn't know that like yeah someone like you click with them or you've always clicked with certain types of people right and then i was digging his lyrics on diseased almost you know <laughs> yeah what did you play on that one you started that one off with a cool wah-wah pedal or something it's, um i mean i know you might not have it Thing, so it's yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So you're actually using your Mobius for a while and you're using the I, expression I, pedal? Yeah, I mean, on my big board, um, I've got the... Um, yeah the, the uh, full tone waffle which yeah. was it's made yeah. to be you know one of those cocked waz that you can yeah. set but it also has an expression jack so you can use it as a waz as well and it's got a much wider sweep too um oh, cool but yeah on, on this small flyboard i just use the mobius for my wah and then a little rolling plastic wah, uh, expression pedal yeah it's very lightweight yeah works great <laughs> Back to your story, how did you end up in this crazy-ass band, Puddle of Mud? Well, proving that there is not just one way to get a gig. Yeah. I mean, um, at the time, I, you know, obviously, like now, I'm, in 10 days, I'll be two years without a drink. But at the time, I was still drinking. And, uh, you know, I was hanging out at the Rainbow, as I do, because it's right up the street. And it was 4th of July, and I was sitting at the patio bar, um, you know, in Lemmy's seat where he used to sit in front of that little video game poker thing. And Wes plopped down next to me in the seat next to me, and I'd met him countless times before. And, you know, sometimes he'd remember me, sometimes he wouldn't. Um, but he sat down, and he's, he was like, oh, I need some new band guys. I'm having trouble with my bandmates. And he looks at me, and he goes, what do you play again? Hmm. And I'm like, well, I play guitar or bass. And he goes, you're my new guitar player. And I was like, yeah, you know, skeptical, because, you know, he he said he was going to call me times before in the past, and like, yeah, we're going to put together a band. And I was like, okay, you know. I mean, it's LA. Yeah. People talk about these big plans all the time. And so I was just like, okay, whatever. So him and I just ended up like hanging out that night and drinking and having a good time. And he's, you know, when the night was over and it was, you know, time to go, he's like, all right, I'm going to call you in the morning. We, we got to talk about the set list for the show in two weeks. And I was like, cool. If it doesn't happen, no problem. I had a good time, you know, whatever. 10 a.m. the next morning, hungover, my phone rings. I'm like, hello? He goes, meet me at Pink Taco in 20 minutes. Damn. I'm like, okay, I guess this is happening. Didn't play a note for him, and I was in the band. Spectacular. Yeah. And, of course, he 
even though he didn't know you specifically or hadn't run through songs with you that day, he knew you though. He had a right. feeling and he'd probably seen you play. He just had a feeling in his gut. Yeah. You know, and he knew people that knew you. It's right. not like you just lucked into it. Right, right. Like yeah. All the dudes Obviously, that you then I had paid. to deliver. Yeah. And know? then you had to deliver. Yeah. <laughs> which you sure did. Yeah. I did my best. <laughs> so, but yeah, then we had a show two weeks later and. Then it's been, you know, been the rest a, is history. A wild ride since then. It's been a wild ride. Have you done a lot of international touring too? Or? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's my favorite stuff. I mean, truth be told, I love, especially going to, to London. That's yeah. my favorite place. Except to, where you have to get off Southwest for that. But Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. I love it out there. Yeah. And I mean, like the first time we, we went there, I mean, because, you know, the first time I went to London was with Puddle of Mud. And, you know, we stayed in Camden and, you know, right, right by the market and it's the best. just my favorite thing. I'm actually going back in December on my own, just vacation. Sweet. Unless if more shows pop up and I have to cancel, but you know. <laughs> well, that's a sure way to get more shows to be booked. Yes. Just to book a vacation. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, we've been to, we did a, we did a tour of India. We played five shows at five different hard rocks around India Amazing, yeah. Um, I, went to, I went to India with Greg Howe, the guitar player. I played kind of second guitar for him. Oh, wow. Four cities. Nice, nice, yeah. yeah. I mean, I loved India. You know, Absolutely. I didn't know what to expect going in. And, you know, I, it's amazing how just the, you know, it was just such a, a great place. I, um, and I love Indian food. I Like, Me going too. into it, I, I hadn't really had much. But then being over there, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing food. Um We've been to South America. We played Lima, yeah. Peru, uh, Sao Paulo, um, Canada, you know, yeah, Mexico. Yeah. Uh, when you're into the multi-platinum band with hits all over the world, they are just well-known everywhere. Yeah, it's really, yeah. It's really great. But yeah, England is definitely my favorite place to go. I love it too. Uh, yeah, like just like you said too, Camden yeah. and Portobello Road. Yeah. Yeah. London has a vibe to it, man. Yeah. Yeah. And you hear like the um the reggae stuff. Oh, yeah, like uh the dub music, yeah. Yeah, just the dub. Like you could be in a taxi cab or something, and you yeah. hear that shit. Like you're like, God, I really am here. This is like where the police came from. And right, stuff. exactly. Like, they put that sound together with rock. There's yeah. a there's a vibe there. Now, of course, and I think maybe you were willing to talk wanted to talk about this or clear something up, but there's definitely some <laughs> Notorious moments with yes. Wes, and one of them, I think the whole band, and I'll let you tell the story, actually left him on stage, and maybe you wanted to clear Ish. something up about that? Or, yeah. yeah, tell me. Don't let me tell the story. I mean, I, like, I still get people coming up to me, and, you know, they're like, oh, you're in Puddle Mud. Oh, did you join after that, uh, after his band quit in England? It's like, well, that's not exactly what happened. Yeah. And you didn't, qu- no, but the band we didn't, didn't quit. quit. You guys no, finished no. the tour. Um, all that happened was we were... We were in England. This is obviously when, you know, we were all still drinking and, you know, things were a bit more erratic. But we we just had this little stupid fight backstage. We were waiting to go out to do our encore. And we got in a dumb fight over something really dumb. That was very redundant of me to say. <laughs> um, but... Uh, it always is a dumb thing. That's yeah. substituting probably for something deeper. Exactly. And so after the fight, he's like, I'm going back out there. Screw you guys. And he went out there and he, you know, obviously in his state, he was like, my band just quit on me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the next morning when we all sobered up, truth be told, he didn't even remember that. 
You know, right. he didn't remember us quitting or him firing us. Or but there was a moment on set where you're in the middle of a song, or that was a different situation. That was a different show. There was a show, yeah. the show that we did in North Carolina, and he just decided that I had done something and get off my stage right now. You're fired. And then the next morning, everything was fine. Yeah, that's that's the booze. You know? Yeah, but I mean, luckily, yeah. you know, now that things are, you know more level those kind of moments don't happen anymore. do you guys support each other is this a sober backstage like a aerosmith backstage um kind of uh we have one guy in the band who still drinks but he takes it away that party animal yeah you know i mean because he doesn't have a problem with it and you know i mean he's like i'll take the room with a mini bar yeah yeah <laughs> and i mean you know it's Wes never asked any of us to quit drinking or anything like that i mean for me i i just woke up one night from a soundcheck live jam <laughs> And I was the other really, great jam in town, which yes. is once a month Wednesday, yeah. right? And and I had gotten really, really wrecked the night before, and I woke up and was just like, I need "My to car take- is in the front yard." <laughs> yeah, no, what? I was just like, "I need to take a break from this." And it originally started off as a thirty-day break, and then I was, you know, then when Wes was getting sober, I was just like, "You know what? I'm just gonna stay sober with them." You know, again, he didn't ask yeah. me to, and. He probably doesn't care if I start up again or whatever, but I just, yeah. I really actually don't miss it. And But do you have a cooler of booze in the green room or say, those are changes that bands make sometimes. I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to get too personal. No, I mean, no, we, we, we keep the, the booze out of the green room. Um, yeah. I mean, I have, I think you can see over there, that big stash of tea on my microwave. That's what I have in the green room. I, I just, yeah. and then whatever I don't yeah. drink, I take home with me. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of my substitute. It's yeah. like, you know, it used to be booze or whatever. And I used to drink a lot of soda, Mountain Dew specifically, and a lot of energy drinks. And I just, I stopped yeah. all of those because, it, you know, it eventually where all those chemicals just wear you down. And now I just drink tea and espresso, ah, you know, yeah. the healthier version of the, caffeine. The <laughs> nectar of the gods. Yes. And, and the funny thing is I don't, I actually don't like coffee. Yeah. Ugh. But espresso, I can well, yeah. you know, force it down and then chase it with some tea, and I'll be fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very Boring your audience now. No, not at all, man. This is great. Yeah. Any other crazy gigs that you want to remember with this band? I mean, you guys are playing a lot of fantastic shows now. I've been following you. Instagram, which is P-O-M underscore Matt, like puddle of mud underscore Matt, P-O-M Matt. Right. And uh, you're playing all kinds of wonderful outdoor shows this summer. It's just great to see you guys kicking ass, big crowds, barricades, people up in the front. And, yeah. Uh, doing the whole gamut of spectrum of shows. One of my favorite shows, which was recent, it was over the summer in June, we played, it was called the Nova Rock Festival in Austria. And there were three stages the main stage i forgot what the name of the other stage was and then we were on the red bull stage which was kind of like the the smaller stage for the you know the lower level bands or lesser known bands or whatever i'm not sure um and we were the only real international band on that stage all the rest were like locals or whatever and i'm sure there's thousands of people yeah well i mean the funny thing was we were playing at the same time as smashing pumpkins they were on the main stage and the cure was going on after them but we were scheduled, and we were headlining our stage, so our stage was done after we were playing, and then, like, I think Anthrax was on the other stage at the same time as us, so, you know, you got... You like, were playing more... during Anthrax and Smashing Pumpkins? Yes, but these stages were pretty yeah, separate. Yeah, they're way yeah, far apart. Yeah. Um, and I think Slayer headlined the Anthrax stage. So this was a smooth jazz festival. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. And <laughs> it was funny, because the band that played before us on our stage, like... 
it's this huge open field and there was maybe 70 people there and as we're setting up you know Wes was kind of like oh my god we're not gonna be playing to anybody I'm like you know we'll see we'll see and and as we're setting up it's just like it just starts filling in and by the time we started playing this was just a mass of of people and again we're up at same time as Smash Points, yeah. and they've got their good crowd, and we've got our good crowd, and I'm sure Anthrax had a good crowd too. I couldn't see their things, but it was just cool that like there were so many people at this festival that like we were able to still yeah. play in front of a good crowd. I was kind of bummed because my buddy Jeff plays in Smashing Pumpkins, and we like leading yeah. up to this, we were like, "All right, cool, we're going to be able to watch each other and then hang out." And of course, we get scheduled at the same time, but yeah, totally. But the cool thing was after we finished, the sound guy comes up to us and he goes. I've worked this stage for six years now. This is by far the biggest crowd this stage has ever seen. And it was awesome. kind of like, nice, you know? Hey, that's great, man. Yeah. had some serious energy going. Yeah. So to me, that that would, I mean, I guess it's not crazy in like, you know, in the fact that like all kinds of crazy, you know, like salacious stories happen. But Oh, yeah. You know, totally. but it was uh, it was like something awesome, and then we got to watch the Cure afterwards, which was great. What's the most comedic moment that's ever happened to you as a guitar player on stage? Anything funny? <laughs> Oddly enough, let's go back to Chuck Berry. Yeah, uh, Johnny Be Good. When I was in high school, um, my band was playing this venue, and again, as I said, I used to break a lot of strings. We were playing Johnny Be Good at you know this club McGregor's in Elmhurst. <laughs> Um, Chicago and Hel- yeah, Elmhurst, Illinois, and you know when it comes up to the solo, everything stops and it's you know, yeah. And literally, I hit that first break a string, so yeah. I'm like, oh shoot! So I'm you know scrambling and I you know switch out guitars, and then the singer's like, all right, here we go again, you know. And he used to call me Matt Guitar Fuller. Matt Guitar Fuller. Yeah. He goes, all right, second chance, Matt Guitar Fuller. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm getting no sound, and I'm like, oh, gosh. And I realized when I was switching my my guitars, I kicked the cable out of my pedal. So I'm like, all right, plug it in. He goes, all right, third time's the the charm. (laughs) And then then the crowd just kind of erupted. It was just like, you know, it was one of those things you couldn't plan, but it was, you know. It was a a redemption story. Good moment. That's the theme. Yeah. So, Man, I don't know if I've told this story in the podcast. You know, this is the 100th episode, Matt. Pretty exciting to have you. You're breaking in triple digits. Yes. Yeah. Slumming it for the 100th episode. <laughs> ah. <laughs> the actual number of guitar players would be like 96, or because there's been a couple of like bonus episodes. Ah, gotcha. Stuff, but I don't know if I've ever told this story, but my one broken string story that I didn't even know this could happen blew my mind. I was playing with DJ Miguel Miggs, and we're doing a crazy rehearsal. They had a mixing board in the center of this room with this warehouse that was like probably out of permit and nobody was lit. It was vacant mm-hmm. and everything's plugged into different sockets on the walls and like grounding problems. And I remember noticing specifically like, yo, somebody plugged in that powered mixer in the middle of the room that we were all plugged into with a little three prong adapter. So there wasn't even a ground. It's going out two prongs into the wall. Yeah. And I had a little amp that was plugged in with a XLR cable into the thing. So there's a connection and we're jamming and I've, popped a string in the middle of a tune and I'm reaching down to like grab a pack of strings or something and the string it was the second string a B string it swung down and touched the cement floor and it just went that fast arc of flame it was gone the string was gone there was like one inch left up on my tuning peg oh my god it just burst into 
flames and the whole band stops and they're like whoa you all right i mean it's it just shudders makes me shudder to think of you know how much electricity went through that string when it hit the floor i didn't even know that could happen i know that it doesn't necessarily mean i would have been electrocuted if i like touched the floor or something but because I know that yeah. the conductivity maybe of the metal of the string had something to do with I don't know. Right. And that shit was crazy. Yeah, like cuz Keith Ralph from uh, the Yardbirds, he died getting electrocuted. Oh my Cause god. Cuz he was a singer but then he decided for he put together a new band and was going to play guitar and ended up getting electrocuted by the connection from the mic and You have to be ter- yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, I hope people, yeah, everywhere yeah. I mean, I heard them. This is a this story. I didn't even want to tell it. It's so terrible, but people need to know. Like you know, like this guy once he was a, a minister and he was baptizing a child or something, and he went. Into, they both he took off his shoes with a microphone and went into the water or something, with bare feet. And whew, yeah. these things can happen. We're getting dark here, but right, right. Nobody do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So on a much prettier note. Yes. I love your intro on the new song "Time of Your Lives." What's going on there? You stacked a few different things, or that was that was another one of those things where it, the picking pattern on it was so weird that it took me a little bit to get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's an electric. It might be a twelve string. I know I recorded a bunch of guitars. I don't know what actually got yeah. ended up getting used, but I recorded a twelve string acoustic, a twelve string electric, a straight six string probably a six string acoustic and then i did um with an octaver i put like you know i recorded i don't think that one got into the final mix but i was kind of thinking like meyer and lung by uh uh radiohead but yeah there's a lot of guitars on on that intro i don't know how many got used A lot of these songs we haven't even started yeah. playing yet live. Beautiful. Oh, I saw a drop D, so that last sounded <laughs> right. funny. Did you ever, you ever accidentally start a song when you should drop? Yes. Someone who drops you, I play <laughs> yes. in drop D too. I mean, you know, it's like, yes. ah, damn it. Yeah. It, it happens backwards. It happens every once in a while. Luckily, there's moments where I can tune yeah. up real fast, or you know, or just yeah. transpose into the grunge chords. Yeah, you got to trans. Yeah. Now you're one of these players, and I love how you worded it. You play righty, but you write lefty. Yes, so I'm, I'm left-handed in every other aspect of my life, but I play guitar right-handed. Yeah. Because when I was first learning, I was eight-year-old kid, you know, little timid kid, and you know, I went into my first guitar lesson with a little Sears guitar, you know, Sears electric with, you know, and a pack of strings. And I was like, I'm left-handed. I want to learn left-handed. And the guy starts stringing it up. And that was my little eight-year-old voice, by the way. <laughs> um, and he starts yeah. stringing it up. And I'm like, I'm not going to do the eight-year-old voice again. But I was like, hey, that's right-handed, not left-handed. Yeah. And he hands it to me and goes, it'll be easier this way. And I was wow. like, okay, I guess that'll be 
the way it is. Do you have an opinion on like if someone is left-handed, should they should they learn it left-handed, or should or Albert King style with the strings upside down and you left-handed? Know, my philosophy is you know whatever works for you. Yeah. But again, there's I don't you know there's there's guidelines, but there's no rules. Yeah, I'm always shocked at how difficult it is when I just flip a guitar over or pick up someone who has a legit lefty instrument. Like, right. It's so hard yeah. to play with the hands reversed. Just you know, yeah. It just well, always shows you how far you've come as a guitarist. Yeah, I mean, I had a friend who was who played left-handed, but the guitar was strung right-handed. Yeah. So I mean, you know, he's playing the chords. Skinny strings are on top. And, right. You know, there's guys that you know play it left-handed, strung left-handed, yeah. and you know, whatever works for you. Absolutely. Oh, you know, I want to ask you too is who produced the new album and oh, uh, this uh, this guy named Cameron Webb. He does a lot of like that OC punk stuff. Like he's done, he's worked with Lit and Pennywise or Pennywise. Yeah. And, you know, he did the last six Motorhead records and um, he's done like Yo Gaba Gaba. I think that's a TV show or something like that. He sure knows how to get the sound. Yeah. He just, he's done so much stuff and I think he he did a great job. So where'd you track it? Uh, At his studio down in Santa Ana, Maple Studios was most of it. And then we did. A couple days at Grandmaster in Hollywood, which was awesome because um, Billy Preston's Rolls Royce was in the in the garage, That's and awesome. I guess it was originally owned by George Harrison, and then yeah. Diana Ross owned it, and then Billy Preston owned it, and the guy was selling it actually, <laughs> and it was only like he was only asking like eighty five hundred for it, and he's like, oh well, the interior needs to be redone. And I looked inside, and I'm like, it really doesn't have oh, to be, and it runs. But yeah, it runs. That's he, awesome. you know, he started it. I'm a big it Billy Preston fan, man. Yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I, I sing his songs. Yet. If you want to be with me, I'm a big nice. fan of his shit, man. That's awesome. <laughs> or at least some of the, you know, will it go around in circles? Yeah, shit. yeah, yeah. Oh, funky, that's cool. So where's where's uh, what's it called? Central Grandmaster. Where's Grandmaster? Grandmaster's, Grandmaster's like right in Hollywood. Um, you know, it's one of those buildings yeah. where you, if you don't know it's there, you're not going to know yeah. it's there. Um, but yeah, I, th- I remember seeing like Foo Fighters records on the wall and stuff. So I think they did part of oh. Color in the Shape there. So and I mean, I can't even remember all the records that were on the wall there, but they've done a lot of stuff there. Now, so did you learn anything from Cameron? Like, I always love to hear producer stories when people are who've done a million records, or you walk in there and they start recording you and, and coaching you. Anything? Any moments? Let's see. With Cameron, what did I learn? Did you learn anything about record making or mixing or? Well, it's funny because it has changed a lot over the years. You know, now it's all computers and stuff. But um, he was. I will say that Cameron's best thing was he was good at keeping the the atmosphere in the studio really relaxed and just getting the best performances out of us, you know? Um, and, I mean, that's, to me, that's the most important thing because the recording of this record happened in patches but really, really rushed because what yeah. would happen was we'd be, you know, on the road and then we'd get a call from, um, you know, our... our agent or manager or whoever at the time was kind of helping out and they'd be like they'd be like oh you know the demos you have and it's like yeah learn these three songs you're going in in three days to record them and it was like okay so you know me michael and david would spend a day on our own learning the parts then the next day we'd get together and we'd go through them and then, you know, if we had another day before we had to go in and start tracking, we'd, you know, just tighten up any things that we had to do. And then we'd go in and 
you know, track. And then, you know, six months later, okay, now learn these songs and go in. And, and it's like, it was definitely done over time. And the fact that, you know, Cameron was able to still make it sound cohesive. Cause I mean, when you're right. away from something for so long, it can easily yeah. sound different. And yeah. I mean, I think the album's it's sonically pleasing and cohesive, you know, like I said, yeah. And it's got some of that patented big ass drop C sharp. Yeah. <laughs> it must be so much fun to like get on a big stage and bring that wall of thunder. Big old. <laughs> I, Are you running orange amps at all your gigs or? Yeah. Yeah. If, if, um, <laughs> the, the rocker verb head that I have here, yeah. this is my main head. Um, when we do fly dates, if I don't have access to this or the backline doesn't provide it, I have a little Brent Hines signature dual terror head that I fly with. Oh, I've seen you. And I've seen Wes with the, with the mini, the mini recto. Wave, so that's mine. And that's in the other room right now. Oh, as the well. mini rectifier. Yeah. yeah. I have one of those too. It's a great little amp. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even for recording. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'm definitely an orange guy and, and that's because, I mean, I'd always seen orange in like, you know, like. That old those old videos of Black Sabbath, you know, where you see the oranges behind them and they're doing yeah. Paranoid and Iron Man. So I'd always had a, and then Badfinger used to use them, and I'd see old videos of them using yeah. it. But then the the final moment for me was there was that Oasis at Wembley where he just had that wall of orange behind him, and I was like, oh man, I just got to pull the trigger, and nice. I did, you know. And then yeah. I over years before I became an orange artist, I'd used. I'd kind of gone back and forth between Vox and Orange, and I just eventually landed with Orange because yeah. I just I really like. I mean, the versatility of this head alone is is amazing to me. I mean, a lot of country artists use this head now. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what Billy Gibbons played, but I saw them once ZZ Top in the '90s, and I walked in. He had a wall of orange amps, like you're talking about. I don't probably eighty <laughs> thirties or or fifties, because like those are definitely kind of more their sound, right? You know, and I I used to use the eighty thirty. I liked it a lot, but um, because I use so many effects, I kind of need an effects loop, and the eighty thirty is just a plug and play amp. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I ended up going to the rocker verb. You know, very nice. Because I, I like to keep my delays clean. Yeah, well, you get a great sound. You guys use monitors on stage, or like regular wedges. Uh, yeah, in-ears? Wes has just recently started using in ears. Um, yeah. The rest of us still use monitors, and I mean, I yeah. I'm very simple on stage. I just put my amp behind me. I try to get as far back as I can because I want like the air to have a chance to move. Yeah. Um, and I set the volume just loud enough so that I can hear it. I don't need it, you know blaringly loud because again if it's too loud then i tend to get tentative about how i hit the strings i'd rather you know dig in and you know um and then in my monitor i just get wes's vocal and my vocal and then i put in earplugs yeah you sing a lot in the band yeah we all we all sing a lot i mean we you know there's a lot of harmonies on those records so there's a lot to cover and then um i i a little bit of a cheat is Dave, our, our drummer, he gets a lot in his monitor and he gets it really loud. So I sometimes get a little bit of the feed off his. So yeah. that's another reason why well, I Well, yeah, if you're over on the on the stage right. Yeah. That's the same with our keyboard player in our band. Yeah. The drummer has his shit so loud that he doesn't need anything in his wedge except for a little of himself. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, that's why I keep my monitor very minimal. And then it, it's just also better for, like, you know, feedback issues and stuff. You know, the less yeah, you yeah. got going on, the less feedback, theoretically, you'll get. Totally. Yeah. And then of the classic hits, 
what are some of your favorites to, to play? I noticed that your new hit song, Uh-Oh, is often maybe second to the last song, which means I'm not sure if my set list information is correct. Yeah, it's usually more towards the end of the set these yeah, days. Yeah, I've been seeing it. Like, the crowd's really taken to the song. That's fantastic, because you, you only play your special songs the last couple songs. Right, exactly. So and it's a special song. Yeah, I mean, for me, my favorite songs to play... Um, Obviously, I you know I didn't yeah. play on the original versions of them, but like um, "Drift and Die" is one yeah. of my favorites to play, and and we've we've kind of extended it where I get to do this like little you know solo in the middle, which isn't on the record. Um, yeah. You know, it's nice because I get to like just kind of expand on it. Um, I like playing "Away from Me." Obviously, the hits "She yeah. Hates Me" and "Blurry." Blurry. <laughs> There's a lot of fan favorites, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I think "Drift and Die" is my f- my favorite song to play live. Right. Yeah. Just just for the record here, what you use tens on these? Because you're tuning down. Ten so. to fifty-two. Yeah. Ten to fifty-two. Yeah. These yeah. guitars feel great, man. Yeah. You set them up pretty heavy. Yeah. I mean, and that's the funny thing. Like I, I mentioned earlier, like I, I set my guitars up so they're a little hard to play because. There's been times where I've played, you know, at jams or whatever, you know, like, yeah, and, you know, people get, hey, come up and jam with us. And it's like, you know, so they put some guitar on you that you've never played before. And it's like, if my guitars are naturally hard to play, if I yeah. play someone else's guitar, it's either going to be the same or easier. It's going to feel like rubber bands. Yeah. So and that's then the strap I'm... is going to be way higher, too. It's going to be up like, yeah. for you, it Necklace. feels like you're a Paul McCartney or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to, I, I, I. I mean, I have these sets, but they're yeah, not too low, but not too high. Such a great model. What's the name of this model with your own with the racing stripes on it? This is the Schecter Ultra GT. They made this for one year, and I'm hoping that our album does really well and they have to reissue it. Yeah, that's awesome. You want to hold that up to the camera? Killer guitar. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Shot. Yeah, I love that guitar, and I love this guitar that I'm holding. Another one of your Schecters. This has got kind of like the uh, Filtertron pickups. Yeah, yeah, Filtertrons. Um, yeah, the first time I played it, I was like, oh, this man. This is a Spitfire from yeah. Schecter. What a killer guitar. I love wow, it. you make that sound really good. Well, you know what? You got the heavy <laughs> strings on it, and that's why I like to play that kind of shit when I have like heavy strings that you can lean into. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I like to play baritones and stuff, and and low shit. Right. Move some air. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, I can only imagine when you have like the perfect sound and you feel your guitar coming through the PA, and you're just going. Yeah. That's a fantasy that I've never really gotten to live. That big wall of drop d which yeah. of course we're actually drop c sharp but yeah so yeah. i'm jealous are you guys um amps or are you like oh amps okay good yeah. i and i used to use marshalls because all backline we do almost all five right. dates and, but you're not kempers yeah. and all in no 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 and, okay. i mean i'll bring out my dr z marshall clone if yeah. i'm doing a local gig but uh one thing we do get to do is david wrote the song jane which is one of my favorites yeah you were telling me that 
And uh, but he didn't originally sing it. Mickey Thomas sang it. And Mickey is like almost a soprano in his range. Yeah. So it's pretty high up. So we do it down a whole step and drop D. And it, oh. sounds, it sounds really great. So it's got to be like heavier. So I do get a little drop D moment on That's that song. That's pretty heavy or something. <laughs> yeah, like, it yeah works. I like that. That wasn't even the bridge pickup, was it? Any last words here today, my friend Matt? Mm, thank you for having me. Oh, it's dude, been a good you. time. Thank you, you know. for being the, on the 100th episode and the 100th almost episode. the 100th guest. Nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, welcome to Galvania. Yes. Galvania? Galvania. Galvania, Galvania, however Galvania. you want to pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> Transylvania. Yeah. Welcome to Galvania. It's everywhere. Record stores. I just bought it off iTunes. Nice. Before iTunes is completely gone. Yeah. That's how we can hear these MP3s yeah. on, on the show that you've been enjoying, people. Yes. And of course, it's all over Spotify. I mean, I'm, I'm always hiking the canyon up there. So yesterday, I listened to it two or three times through. I'll probably next time I see you, I'll either be at Ultimate Jam Night or at the Sunset Jam or up on the hills because I know I've seen you up there yes. cruising around. Yes. <laughs> but great record. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're very proud of it. We're very yes. happy. Of it. Yeah. And uh, we'll keep it alive till you're 95, Matt. <laughs> Can we jam a little bit on Drift and Die? Or? Yeah, man, what a super inspiring cat, Matt Fuller. He definitely has his heart in the right place with that guitar in his hands. And dang, he is so correct, man. There is no one way to get a great gig playing guitar. Well, if there was one way, if there was one common thing that most guitar players share who have gotten a great gig, I would say it's only this. 
They played a whole bunch of other gigs before they got that good one. You know what I mean? The one thing they all have in common is they have dedicated their life to playing that guitar or at least put a significant amount of energy into it. Pretty rare that you luck into a great gig your first time through. Something's got to motivate you to keep playing even when things don't always go right until things finally do. Anyway, here we are, epilogue, episode 100. Thanks again. I wanted to look at that number with you since you're here. The number's within the number. Yes, 100. Let's look at some numbers. 100. That's the number of episodes that are still free for you to listen to of this show. All 100 are still available on your favorite podcasting service, whether it's your iPhone or your Android or Spotify. They're all there. They're all a different adventure. And let's go to the next number, 2 million plus. That's how many streams of this show and its 100 episodes there have been. One, that's the number of guests that have appeared on this show twice, you know, appeared with their own featured episode. There have been a couple that have been on a couple episodes, like Jeff Coleman came back with the great producer Alan Parsons. Mike Scott came back with Kat Dyson on her episode when they both reflected about the passing of Prince. But only one person has had their own episode twice, and that would be Joe Satriani. Because, well, it was a thank you to him because he was the first guest to sign up for this show. He agreed to be episode one, and the show had never even launched. I really appreciate his faith in No Guitar Is Safe back when it didn't even exist. But also, because honestly, I was a little tentative that first one. It was a fantastic interview. We really got into how Joe Satriani became this great guitar hero and the evolution of him as a musician. Fascinating. And we definitely played some guitar, but I was a little tentative to really rock out with him. So I had him back when he had a new album out on the Joe Satriani Returns episode, and we really played a shit ton of guitar on that episode. So that was kind of a a little makeup for me on that one. But in general, I like to always have a new guitar player, although some of them do return. One, as in first. Who was the first interview, though? Actually, the very first interview wasn't Joe Satriani. He was the first one that ran episode one. The first interview I did was the day before the Satriani interview with Brad Gillis, another guy I'm very thankful for because he had faith in the podcast before it even existed. Went over to his house the day before I went to Joe's house and we had that amazing hang where he talked all about Ozzy Osbourne and his adventures with Ozzy and Night Ranger. And uh, what a fascinating story he has too. So thank you, Brad. So nice to have friends who are great guitar players, I tell you. 98. By my estimation, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not the most meticulous counter of these things scrolling through all, the entire list, but I think that's how many different guitar players have been on the show. Yes, we're at episode 100, but there have been about four special episodes or maybe three, I don't know, like the tribute to Paul Kantner, which I, I love that episode that I did for my late great band leader who passed away in 2016. Or the bonus Marty Friedman Guitar Clinic episode or the Power of Capo's Guitar Lesson episode that I presented to you. So there's been less than 100 episodes with featured guests. But then again, some of the episodes had a couple of guests on them at the same time, such as such as Mike Stern and his wife Lainey Stern, both incredible guitar players. Another one was, well, here's another number one, the number of father-son guests I've had on the show. That would be Rye Kin with his famous father, Rise a Monster Guitar Player, 
and of course his father Greg Kinn, the multi-platinum guitar player and uh, songwriter, singer. I love Greg Kinn. That was a fun one. So I think about 98 different players. 94, that would be the number of helicopter rides. I mean, think about it, 94 different trips. The other four, I would say, were done right here at my house. So those don't really count as helicopter rides. But 94 times, man, I mean, I'm a, I realize I'm a field reporter. I like to go out into the field and bring home these adventures and put you on this adventure. To me, that is so interesting to go to somebody's studio, hotel room, backstage, tour bus, wherever, and meet with them. Guitar dojo, man cave, whatever it is, living room, and go to their lair and in their natural environment, play guitar with them and plug in with them, jam and talk about their lives playing guitar. To me, that's the whole deal of this whole thing. So yes, some of them are done at home, but in general, the idea is taking you, the listener, on a guitar adventure where we get to plug in with a great guitar player. I would say nine or 10. That's the number of different states I've traveled to to bring you these adventures. And that number will, of course, go up. But let's see here. Different states, such as New York, where we jam with Joel Hoekstra, Jim Campolongo, New Jersey with Charlie Hunter, upstate New York, way up by like Buffalo. I think that almost counts as a ninth state myself. <laughs> way up there with Michael Sterto, Nevada. Went there twice with uh, to interview Neely Brosh and also Greg Howe. Wisconsin. I was in Chicago, just an hour drive away. I'm like, hey man, Greg Cock, one of my favorite guitar players on planet Earth. Had to go over there to visit him. I was in Florida. Had to go visit Mike Scott, the super funky guitarist of Prince, Justin Timberlake, etc. Delaware with, I think it was Delaware, or was it Rhode Island? I think it was Delaware. With Jeff Pivar, Massachusetts with Scott Cerulli. There's been others. Georgia with Jimmy Herring. But you know, all of those were basically when I was already out there on the road. The next number is one. That's the number of trips that I've specifically booked a plane ticket solely to do the interview. In other words, I wasn't already in that state. That would be when I flew to Portland, Oregon to interview Paul Gilbert. Great interview, great hang. Flew up there in the morning, hung out at Paul's house in his studio, flew back same day. And of course I plan to do more of those. I think California almost counts as two or more states too because I've been all over this place. A lot of them in Southern California, but also have flown the copter down to, you know, San Diego for Guthrie Govan, or way up to Outer Marin County for uh, to Sammy Hagar's studio to hang out with Vic Johnson and a little bit with Sammy himself. So all over the state of California. Eight. Now I think this number could be higher, but eight, number of women who have been on the show. We've had Nita Strauss, Kat Dyson, Lainey Stern, Lita Ford, Gretchen Men, Neely Brosh, Samantha Fish, who was episode 99 just a couple weeks ago. Of course, Mimi Fox, two. That would be the number of guitar players. Now, you know, this is a show where guitar heroes plug in, as I always say, but two of them did not pick up a guitar. One would be Alan Parsons, the great producer. 
he does play guitar, but he left the guitar playing on that episode to the monster guitarist Jeff Coleman, his lead guitarist. The other one who didn't plug in is one of the greatest shredders of all time, if not the greatest shredder of all time, Jason Becker, who obviously has not played a guitar in 25 years, but he uses other guitar players. to He plays other guitar players, writes music, and has them blaze it for him, which is just amazing. Which leads me to probably, I'm going to say... 16. That is the number of hours I spent putting together the Jason Becker episode. That one was a series of interviews with different people, kind of like a This American Life sort of thing. I have new respect for how much effort goes into editing those kind of radio stories like that. (laughs) It was a pleasure to put that one together, but it definitely took some work. But most of them, I would say the number is five, maybe six. The number of hours of editing to bring you the typical No Guitar Is Safe episode. You know, working on the flow, adding music in different spots, getting the levels right, editing out dog barks and police sirens and whatever this and that, burps. And uh, yeah, getting the levels right between the next number, which would be six. That's the number of audio channels I probably have on a typical episode. Sometimes I use less mics, but when I'm fully micing the situation, I have four mics. That's two vocal mics and then two guitar amp mics. And then, of course, I have the left, right on the uh, stereo mic on the Zoom H6 recorder that I use for all of these. Actually, you'll remember one episode, a non-playing episode, was recorded almost entirely on smartphones, on iPhones, the Jason Becker episode. One. That's the number of 19th century acoustic guitars that have been on this show. That's right. Lawrence Juber. Great episode. Busted out that 1890s Martin and played a beautiful piece on it on his episode. That was kind of mind-boggling. One, that would be the number of amateur guitarists. Now, this guy is not an amateur in life. He's a professional comedian, incredible podcaster, and really a blossoming actor, very successful. Mark Marin of the WTF podcast, one of the inspirations for this one. You know, he, uh, at the end of every one of his episodes, he says, Boomer lives. I think that's a shout out to one of his cats, if I'm not mistaken. That's why I decided to have a shout-out, too. It's kind of a nod to Mark. So at the end of every episode, we take that thing that came from episode one with Joe Satriani, Keep It Alive to You 95, kind of inspired by Marin's closer. Anyway, Marin was nice enough to be on this the show, but I don't think he would consider himself a professional guitarist by any stretch because he really doesn't do that for a living, although he has found himself in a couple of recording sessions lately, from what I've gathered. Four. That would be the number of four stringers who have been on the show. That's right. We've had bassist Billy Sheehan, bassist Stuart Ham. God, they're all amazing. Bassist JMJ, who's an amazing producer as well. And ukulele master Jake Shimabukoro. They're all four stringers. So even though it's no guitar safe, we will occasionally have some other players on the show. One, that's the number of guitar players who plug in 
who plugged into a bass amp on this show. Ben Lacey. Oh my god. Ben Lacey so funky plugging that guitar into that amp peg refrigerator of a bass amp for his episode. Which reminds me, number three. That's the number of episodes I've done at the NAM show. People are always like, NAM's coming up, man. You gotta do a whole bunch of episodes. Well, I like to prepare for the episodes too. So stacking a whole bunch in a row, I put a lot of preparation into these things. So it's a lot of work to like just have six people in a row. I wouldn't do that personally. Secondly, the NAM show is crazy. Trying to get people into the same spot at the same time. It was nice to have that hotel room once where I did interviews with my, with one of my biggest heroes, Steve Morse. He was so cool to come by the hotel room. Guitar Player Magazine got me a nice double room for those interviews. Also, Mark Latiri, up-and-comer from Snarky Puppy. Also, man, he has a great solo career going. He was at the NAMM show. But the other one at the NAMM show was Ben Lacey. But we did that kind of off-campus. I found a local rehearsal studio just a mile from the convention center. Picked up Ben Lacey and his wife, and we went over there and plugged in. That was a real fun one. And you know, speaking of all the preparation that I do, I'm gonna go to number one, which is the one super awkward moment. Well, you know, it wasn't that awkward, but obviously people kind of latched onto it a little bit, which was when the great Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Ace Freely from KISS in his episode said to me, you're not even prepared, which is funny because I put so much into preparing, but yeah, it was the verse section of Shock Me and I really didn't know how the verse section went and because he was singing and it's a silly story, but no big deal. But he's just from the Bronx. He's very forward and I appreciate that about him. And it was a funny moment and uh, I liked that moment. And he was very happy after the interview and everything. But but yeah, that was a little awkward because you know what? I just don't have every single Kiss song in my fingers. I don't know if it's because I was a little younger than the Kiss generation. I mean, I got all the ACDC and Judas Priest and Scorpions. That, that was like my hard rock. So it was really funny to be called out by, by the great Ace Freely. Let's see, what else do we got for you in terms of these numbers? One all-nighter. Man, I think I was hanging out with Neely and a couple people having a drink somewhere in LA. And all of a sudden, I got a text from Vic Johnson, Sammy Hagar's lead guitar player. Man, that was a great hang. But he's like, see you tomorrow. And I'm like, wait, I thought that our date was two days from now, but I looked at the date and realized that I had thought the date was a Thursday, but the date was actually a Wednesday, which was the next day at 11 a.m. So I raced home, packed my car. I mean, I packed the helicopter and got ready to make an all-night trek from L.A. up to Marin County above San Francisco to Sammy Hagar's studio with all those supercars. And... Uh, Got to meet them both and hang out. I, Sammy was just obviously the briefest of brief moments, but 
plugged in with Vic after an all-night mission powered by coffee. Toothpicks holding my eyes open. I made it. We did that interview at like 11 a.m. So yeah, one all-nighter. One, that would be the number of episodes done at Capitol Records Building. The great studio in L.A., in Hollywood. Studio A. That was with Phil Collin from Def Leppard. What a great room to do a No Guitar is Safe interview in. There were a lot of cameras and everything there because they were filming a special and they were kind of filming us, but it was still a lot of fun, even though it wasn't quite as casual as I would like. Phil made it casual. He was so cool. He just made it so comfortable. What a gracious dude. Gave me one of his metal picks, I would say. Three is the number of metal pick players I've had on the show. Brad Gillis, Joel Hoekstra, and Phil Collin, all of whom were gracious enough to give me one of their picks. Their metal picks. Those are way more valuable than a regular old guitar pick. (laughs) Thank you, fellas. Couple dozen or so. That's about how many times I've gotten messages, maybe more, from wonderful listeners out there asking for an episode where somebody interviews me perhaps someday new jefferson starship record coming out in february and i'm working on more solo stuff i've you've been listening to solo stuff in the very background here because i wanted to add some vibe so yeah more stuff on the way i really thank you guys for that level of enthusiasm three that's probably the number of hours that was the shortest quickest interview ever to put together the entire thing like in terms of editing it and recording the intro etc or whatever putting it up on the server and all that stuff that would have been the great tommy emmanuel episode granted it was a shorter interview less than an hour because he had to go straight to the stage it was done after sound check before showtime and also because he's just such an easy interview you just turn on You just hit record and he goes like the Energizer Bunny, man. That guy is amazing. So much energy. So, he's just in shape guitar-wise. His chops and just, he just goes like, man. That's who Chuck Berry was singing about. Go, Tommy, go, go. He just fucking goes, pardon my French. Well, I'm getting to the end of these numbers, but of course, I'm very thankful to all of you guys for listening and supporting the show. I wanted to leave you with a couple of numbers here. 100, that's the number of different, entirely different adventures. Now, of course, I think maybe it's 98 or something like I said, but every one of these adventures is so different and unique, not even remotely the same. And whether you're a professional guitarist or just someone who plays for fun as a hobby after work, whatever it is, we all have a totally different adventure on the guitar and that's what keeps me going. It's so dang inspiring. That's why I do it. I wanna bring you on all these adventures. It's a gift that keeps on giving. There's no shortage of amazing guitar and music stories. So that's why there will be so much more.
which brings me to zero. That's the number of favorite episodes that I have had. You know what? I don't mean to sound corny, but they're all special to me. They've all been incredibly rewarding and I could not choose favorites. Every guitar player has a unique story. And that applies to all of you listening. Some of you might have been on this show. Some of you have probably done other interviews. Others of you might be at the other extreme where you just play for fun after work or whatever. Everyone's story, every one of you has a unique story. And that's what's so interesting about the guitar. It's just an adventure for all of us. And beyond that, I also think that any of you, any of us who have put a lot of time into the guitar, we have a great riff in us. We have a great song in us. You never know what could happen. If you're lucky enough to get that thing recorded or even get it to another level from there where people start listening to it or get some traction, it could happen. Every one of us has greatness in us and definitely has great stories and great inspiration. And that's what keeps me going because this thing, guitar, music is endlessly inspiring. And so are all y'all for listening to the show. Thank you immensely. I'm back from a whole lot of touring, so I'm back for like almost a month. So I should be able to get some episodes out a little more often in the near future. But yeah, you know what to do. My name is Jude Gold, and you need to keep it alive till you're 195.